And so how do we how do we structure our conversations in ways that are profitable, productive, uh, peaceful even? Um, and we're going through so much today in our world that is the opposite in many cases in our conversations. So we see lot, lots of different, we can talk about that for a long time in terms of what we can it do with those different can. pieces. What do events, news, and culture tell us about how to be more effective at training and communicating? Whether you're in compliance, HR, risk, or general management, effective and ethical leadership requires two things, a consistent, dependable process, and eight specific mindsets that keep you real and salient to your audience. Welcome to the Eight Mindsets Podcast. Nicole Rose here from Sydney, Australia. I'm without Jason today, but I'm not without a phenomenal guest because today on the show, we have Carrie Gallant. Now, Carrie has just released her new book. She's co-author of a new book, Conversation Secrets for Tomorrow's Leaders, 21 Obvious Secrets Leaders Do Not Use Enough. Look, when I dig into the book, which is really a a fantastic book, um, and I'd urge you to read it um, but we're also going to be looking into Carrie's mindsets and all the gold that she speaks about um, within this podcast about the type of conversations that we need to be having um, my favorite part of it is the neuroscience of admitting mistakes letting go of being addicted to being right um, and her new phrase and I'm going to give it away be willing to be sexy so um, if you're not hooked, you're going to be hooked on Carrie. So I hope you enjoy the interview. And without further ado, let's get started. So hello, Carrie, how are you doing? I am so well, Nicole. It's so lovely to see you and to talk with you again today. Now, firstly, I am in Sydney, Australia. Where are you today? I'm in Vancouver, Canada, on the West Coast. So, so we have like 16 hour difference. Okay, so this is my early morning kind of eight, eight o'clock in the morning and it's already your afternoon so correct the world is looking different you're a day behind me <laughs> that's true too and we're opposite in seasons we're just coming to the end of our summer over the next six weeks or so and we are coming into our summer so we've got lots of stuff to to discuss where we have got similarities though so mm-hmm. I want to start with the first um which is I'd love you to talk a little bit about about yourself but here's what I was thinking this morning and I was thinking gosh somebody who is an ex-privacy officer Mm -hmm. has written a book about speaking more and I just found that a really interesting just a really really interesting concept and I'd love you just to speak about your journey from where you started out Mm -hmm. which I believe was um, a practicing lawyer adjunct Mm -hmm. law professor, privacy officer, to where you are now. I just love you to share that because I think there are so many people who are currently in a position in legal and compliance who kind of feel, well, this is it. This Mm. is what I do. And I love that evolution. And Mm. yeah, you could just share with us a bit about your journey. Oh, well, thank you so much. And I, I really appreciated how you asked the question too, because I do think there's a, there is, there's so 
many possibilities for anyone who's been in this field as a lawyer, as a privacy officer, yeah. um, you know, be, studying law, whether you graduate, whether you just do your degree and don't practice, whether you practice and choose something else, it, it's, it's just something that stays with you. It's a way of thinking yeah. and looking at the world. And the biggest lesson I think for many of us to learn is it's not the only way to yeah. think and look at the world. And it can be, it can be some work to undo that, um, when you've been in it for a long time. Um, I started out my career thinking I was going to be a criminal lawyer. That was sort of the, the thing I thought I wanted to be. And I shortly turned that around when I was in law school, got really interested in human rights, uh, women's equality. Um, and that's where I started working. And, and also I was really interested in, in labor relations, um, how, how people organized at work and how that was actually part of human rights, especially in the early days of the trade union environment. Um, so I was really interested in that. And, and you know, it's interesting because, because I made that pivot even in law school, um, early on, I started working as a mediator. So I had my first job, I was hired as a mediator and uh, I got an opportunity to actually work with unions and employers, as well as non-union employees and their employers when they were making complaints, and to try and get them to come to a solution, try to get them to come to designing. At that point, it was in pay, the field of pay equity. So it was about designing and agreeing on a pay equity plan or some yeah. way to remedy pay inequities, uh, gender pay equity issues. And um, so that really started to shape how I thought about law, how I thought about how people came together and how I thought about and worked with conflict. So very early on, I kind of made that pivot to looking at how we get things done through conversations and how we don't get things done through conversations when the conversations aren't working, uh, when they're not getting us to, to what it is we're trying to achieve. Um, and as you know, when I, I also practiced law as well, it was counsel, and it was in that role that uh, I was a privacy officer. And then later on, I did a contract uh, with my local university here in British Columbia um, on privacy for research uh, unit as well, and really found how, uh, so my first time, my first iteration as the privacy officer, I was seeking compliance of my team members of the organization, making sure that we were responding to freedom of information requests appropriately, um, and also organizing ourselves, organizing so that we were collecting um, information in the appropriate way and not violating and staying within the parameters of the law. The second time around, I was more in a consultant's hat type of a role, um, and I was looking to influence the people who were be in my shoes, actually, that were having to collect um, and, and, to, and to really work with them around how they would then uh, integrate privacy into the work that they were doing. And they were not open to it at first uh, very much at all. Yeah. So it was, it, was a, it was really seen as a blocker to them achieving what they wanted to achieve. And so I really was working with my conversation skills, my, my, the, the way I had um, chosen to do my practice, my work uh, in conversations and to, uh, to uh, use conversations as a way to um, mitigate conflict and not even to get into conflict, right? So I see conversations as the core essential tool. We're using it right now, right? We're having a conversation. Yep. Yeah. And so how do we, how do we structure our conversations in ways that are profitable, productive, uh, peaceful even? Um, and we're going through so much today in our world that is 
the opposite in many cases in our conversation. So we see lots of different, we can talk about that for a long time in terms of what we can do with those different pieces. Yeah. So let's just just step forward then. So that Mm -hmm. makes a lot of sense to me. Um, You're in a role, in a number of different roles where actually having good conversations is enabling the organization to get the results. Yeah, so you can Mm -hmm. see, look, the outcome isn't just to follow a checklist. The outcome is to get Mm -hmm. everybody on the same page. So that's it. So then how did you go from here's my outcome (laughs) in an organization to Carrie Gallant, who you are today, not practicing as a lawyer? So so what Mm -hmm. was that jump from I'm a lawyer, Mm -hmm. I'm giving advice, which a lot of us are, to Mm -hmm. actually let's look at this differently. Let's let's think about a different path. Yeah, you know, it's it really it's a it's a continued ongoing iteration of the pathway I described to you just a moment ago. Um, so when I was looking to uh, go out on my own, I was initially going out on my own as a mediator to help bring parties together, but in the private world as opposed uh, okay. to a foreign organization. Yep. Um, and along the way, um, I was looking. I had the idea. I thought I would go back to school and get my PhD in psychology, which was my core undergrad degree. As I was really fascinated with that, um, and a friend of mine was was just embarking from her master's in psych to PhD. And when I expressed to her, you know, I'd I'd like to know more about what what it is you're doing. And she said, hey, you know, you should check out this thing called coaching. Um, She was studying at the Adler Institute in Toronto, and they had just they were in their second cohort of uh, this thing called professional coaching. And when I took a look at it, I went, oh, wow. So I could take all that I've been doing as a mediator, as a person to help people not get into conflict, to get out of conflict. I can actually use these skills to help them not get into conflict. So it's another iteration of what I had been doing and more on the one-to-one level. Now, I still work with groups uh, and, and, uh, and organizations as well. And so my, my focus went from, as you say, from giving advice to helping people unearth their own advice within yeah. them. Yeah. And, and, and so I do a kind of a hybrid coaching mentoring. So in the areas where I have some expertise, like negotiation, uh, leadership, and somewhere else like that, there may be some mentoring aspect to it, which is kind of giving advice, but it's not because I'm not being paid to say, this is what you should do. It's more, here's what you can do. And here's some pieces around that. And then the, the pure coaching part of it is unearthing the skills, the beliefs, the mindsets, the abilities within the person so that they can achieve the outcomes that they're looking to achieve. This is really, really interesting because you keep on using this word iteration. I think that's so Mm. important because some people will look at whatever someone's role is, whether it's as a general counsel, a chief compliance officer, somebody who's written a successful book and has their own business. And they say, well, they're so lucky, you know, they've got the big job not realizing that there are these many 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 steps along the way Mm -hmm. in the form of great conversations great ideas great follow-through great opportunities a little bit of risk taking but it's not just one thing it is over the years over a period of time these little iterations one by one which is what i'm hearing yeah Mm -hmm. yes absolutely so i want to i just want to um speak now about your book because I'm really, really excited about it. And as I said, the, the, the title did tickle me, this Conversation Secrets for Tomorrow's Leaders. So it's just privacy to conversation secrets. It's just, it's, it's, it, it's great. But can you speak a little bit about the iteration process for the book? 
because writing a book, I'm, I'm writing one right now. I can write articles, no problem. I can roll out the mm. articles, but writing a book, that's, that's a much, much, much bigger thing. Mm -hmm. And then writing a successful book. I have read this. Mm. Um, I read it in, in one sitting. It's, it's good enough. It's, it's well-structured enough that you actually want to continue reading it. So mm. it's successful as far as I'm concerned. And I would implore everybody to read it. We talk about why. But how did you get there? What, mm. what was your, I guess, what was the mindset that, mm. that got this book from idea to done? Mm. Oh, thank you. Great question. And first of all, I just want to thank you for your feedback. I enjoy hearing that. And it's so right. gratifying to hear that what we put together is landing for, for you and landing for others as well. Um, and so I, I'm actually going to be talking to my co-authors tomorrow. I want to share that with them because I think that's going to be something they're really going to appreciate. Uh -huh. So um, I, I think as you can tell, your listeners can tell, this iterative process for this book didn't take place just solo with me. It was, a, it was something that we did together uh, with my co-authors. And it actually was a real iterative process because we had started together talking about doing something together, uh, yeah. putting together a workshop, uh, putting together uh, some, some pieces around some things that each of us was doing we wanted to bring to our audiences. We thought, let's share our, um, our skills, our expertise, and our experience and put something really solid together. And eventually it graduated, uh, graduate, graduated. It, it, it segued into talking about, well, yeah, maybe we should write a book. And so we started putting pieces of some things that we wanted to talk about into different chapters. And that's really how it started. We, we each took on all these topics that we thought we wanted to write on. And we each went in and said, okay, I'd like to write on this one. I'd like to write on that one. And so we each picked a bunch of these different topics and thought, well, let's write it. And it, the, the, the title emerged later um, in what, what we decided uh, it was going to be called. Uh, but we knew that we wanted to write something that was going to help the leaders that we, especially, you know, we work with a lot of leaders, um, both, in, both new leaders as in it's their leaders, their leaders um, for the first time, as well as up to the, to the C-suite and uh, running companies. Um, so we work with all levels of leaders, uh, primarily from the executive coaching perspective. Mm -hmm. And we're really finding that with every time we work with a client, we're always coming back to that conversation, um, yeah. to how you can have a better conversation. Yeah. And, you know, I'll say too, one of the most important conversations we can ever have is the one we have with ourselves. So all of this work that we started to put together is also predicated uh, on the inner conversation. We're not explicit about having that inner conversation. And it's so embedded in everything that we're talking about, because often that's a different inner conversation than we yeah. might be having, especially when we're under times of stress. Yeah. This is really interesting. So let's let's just break this down because here's what I got from this. If I'm putting together, um, if I'm if I'm breaking down the process. Firstly, you all had a resounding why. Mm -hmm. So that that's the first thing. Secondly, you all had slightly different skill sets and possibly mm -hmm. slightly different passions. And thirdly, you came together and you all chose what areas you wanted to work on. So like mm -hmm. like putting anything together really you had a, a process where you're all working collaboratively I guess you know you you're all bringing something to the table and mm -hmm. and I'm sure that and and you can expand upon this but I'm sure that that brings a different element to you rather than just working on it by yourself because some, you suddenly mm -hmm. have that peer pressure it's, it's like working out if I'm going to go for a run with a friend I'm going to turn up yeah. if I'm going to go for a run by myself I might turn up if I'm going to do a yeah. yoga session with a friend, same thing, even if it's on Zoom, you're going to turn up. And it, did, did you find that that 
that really helped you? Yeah, so that's it's so important. Uh, it's in for me, in many ways, it's the only way this book got yeah. written from from my yeah. from my uh, part of the triangle, if you like. Um, you know, I'd, I'd wanted to write my own book and wasn't really getting the traction on my own. And knowing myself well enough, I know that um, I I'm great at coming up with ideas. I'm great at helping others sort through their ideas. What I need in my world uh, from other people is activation energy. So if you've done the strengths finders, for example, my top five are all in the ideas field and one in strategy. Um, And my activation energy is kind of on the low side. So I look to, I I do best when I'm, when I have a deadline that somebody else is, is partnered with me on. Um, I just know this about myself. It's just something I have to learn to not beat myself up over that because there's a lot of energy out there in the world to push to do, 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 do. Yes. Um, and that's not necessarily my strength. However, yep. I can work in, a, in concert with others and do that, yep. right? So for me, it was bringing those two pieces together, not just within me, but in the three of us. And, and so um, I'm not sure that I could say that, that one of us is stronger than the other in terms of that activation energy. And I can say that together with the three of us, we to get collectively made it happen. Wow. And so it was, it was like you were saying, going to the gym, if you have, if you have a workout partner you're going with, you're more likely to go, you're more likely to continue to go because you have that, that kind of obligation, that kind of, oh, I've said I would, and they're relying on me and you don't want to let them down. So it might feel like that, or it might feel excitement. Oh, great. I get to go with somebody. So, 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 so can we, can we, can we break that down again? I'm really, really, really big into breaking down just to, because I want to, I want to take what you've done and be able to really, th- there is a formula for this. So if, so were there, so it sounds to me that there is a different thought going on in your head, a different mindset happening when you had people to collaborate with. Mm-hmm. Can you, can you identify what that thought was? What was it a thought of excitement or was it I got to do you it. You know what? For me, I think it's probably different for for many people. For yep. me, it was it definitely was. I'm part of something. And yes. actually, you know, as I say yes. it out loud, that is absolutely what yes. it was. Because I know that one of the things that I loved about working in organizations yep. is the organizations I chose to work with had a purpose, had a clear, yes. compelling to me yes. purpose. And I yep. felt like I was part of something. I was part yep. of not only a team, but also part of a group of people working towards a goal okay. that we were all focused on and aligned on. So same thing is here that uh, I felt like I was part of something still do because we are part yeah, of something that's awesome um, and that really that really uh, is motivation that helps to yeah. motivate me and we know from uh science and behavior now that yeah. motivation gets you started yeah. and habit is what keeps you going and so a lot of the structure that we have uh the three of us in terms of meeting regularly yeah. of you know doing all that we did was so it's both the motivation of being able to work together um, as well as that kind of structure of habit. I know that you've you've mentioned, you know, the breaking it down. It, yeah. That's one of the things that really yeah. helped uh, helps yeah. us um, okay. move the project so, forward. I love that. So that thoughts, that that thoughts, I'm part of this. I'm part of mm. something. I think that's so big. But then mm. again, that okay, what do we need to do? What do we need mm. to do to make this happen? It almost sounds like you were like, how can we as a team? produce this so it was that's fantastic so then just one more question on this so the can you so you started off the creation the the creative process so the first thing is you said look we meet regularly what Mm -hmm. what other I guess habits did you have for your creative process 
Um, well, there's the writing. Um, and yeah. I think each of each of the three of us has our own way of, of doing that. Uh, part of part of that create, creative process was again being accountable to each other because we each said yep. we each decided we were going to write seven. Right? You, I know one of the things you were going to ask about is why why twenty one secrets, right? <laughs> and uh, so I'll just say that right now, what, what it fell into a really neat pattern because we know the brain remembers things between three and seven, three and yes, seven. We get, the brain can yep. hold between three and seven things. Um, so it actually worked out beautifully because not only did each of us only have seven chapters to write, then it fell nicely into the book uh, where we ended up with three chapters of yep. seven, seven secrets each, right? Yeah. Um, and and they, they didn't fall into, you know, one, one chapter belongs to Steve, one chapter belongs to me, one chapter belongs to Mindy, where ours are, they're all sprinkled about because we, yep. we kind of did that mix and sort after we'd had all, all of them written yeah. and we decided it was going to become 21 secrets. Then we mixed and sorted until a pattern emerged and it merged into those three chapters of trust, connection, and collaboration. Uh, it emerged organically. We did not design those three chapters to start out with. Yeah, so this so is that rather was like, really powerful. This is rather like your career, this iteration process. Yes, yeah? you're right. Let's just keep yeah, on. Yeah. Let, let's just keep on building. Let's just keep on building. Mm -hmm. Let's just get it out there. See how it works. Put the structure in place, and then you became yeah. this curating team together. That's yeah? right. And yeah, yeah. and we we that. edited it together, yeah. so um, we're all in all twenty one. Yeah. Yeah, in one way or another, there's a primary yeah. voice, and then there's the other two. They've all edited and cross-edited before we gave it over to our editor. Yeah. Uh, so we, we we in that sense we did write it together. Yeah, that's really interesting, yeah. and that that's great. Well, let's just dig a bit into the book. Mm -hmm. um, sure. So we've spoken about this title, Conversation Secrets. So twenty-one conversation secrets for tomorrow's leaders. But can we just dig into a bit? within the book. And I was particularly mm -hmm. interested, I'm thinking about this from a compliance perspective. So I've picked up on compliance mm -hmm. topics. Arguably, they're all compliance topics, but let, let me pick up on the main ones. So you talk about um, values. Mm -hmm. And there's this part where you say, you invite the reader to open your door towards clarifying your values by reflecting on where you spend your time, money and energy. By the way, mm -hmm. thank you for this, because I used this with a client last night. So it's, it's gold. But <laughs> I want to dig a little bit into this mm -hmm. for our listeners. So, you know, when we think about values for companies and, and you talk mm -hmm. about this in the book, we talk about what's written up oh, integrity, you know, efficiency, right. wh whatever it is. But you suggesting that rather than just relying on these written values, we actually look to think about how what we are doing mm -hmm. and our I, I guess our own internal values are meeting those. So are you, are you suggesting mm -hmm. like a, I would say like a, a, a regular audit? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. the, there's a way in which, um, and I, I work with my clients, especially my one-on-one -on -one clients and my yep. leaders as well with this, is that values are like the points on your compass. Yes, okay. If you don't know what they are, they're going to lead you anyway. They just might not lead you where yeah. you want to go. Yeah. Because if you're unaware of what those values are, you may not yeah. be aware of, of when they're triggered, for example. Yeah. And, and you may not be aware of when they're actually met. Yeah. <laughs> and, and when they're met, uh, when, when, we're, when we're doing work and living in a, a life that is in line with our values, it's a full life. 
Yeah. It's it's that Aristotle said that about talked about the life worth living is the examined life. Yes. Examined life. And so, you know, examining or examining one's own life. And so what's really important to you? There's there's signs along the way. The things that really tick you off are probably a good sign of a value that's been stepped on. The things that bring yeah. you great joy are probably in line with a value that's important to you. And so to have meaningful work, to have a meaningful life, we want to be doing work that is aligned not only with a purpose that you might have, mm-hmm. being a part of something, if that's important to you, which it probably is, uh, but also aligned with your values. Your values are, are integrally 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 linked, excuse yeah. me, with your purpose. They are, they're not separate. And the other part is that if you're not living your values, that's also probably a place where you're going to feel out of alignment. So if something feels off, it's a good time to go back if you've done it and take a look at, okay, what are my values? So for example, you might have a wheel. I often use a wheel with yep. clients to show, okay, and you can use it for anything, but for values, I might say, okay, let's, let's examine what are your top five values. And it can be a bit of a process to get there. Um, to really get there and nail it. And once you've decided what they are, then I like to do an exercise that is, okay, so where are you living those right now? How are you living those values? So I love that. And I'm going to, I'm going to come back to you separately outside of this podcast and ask you about, (laughs) about doing that with me, because I love that. And I also want to talk about how would we do this in an organizational Mm -hmm. context? I've got CCO who says, my values Mm -hmm. is, um, is about making these positive changes about getting people, you know, I, I really, in terms of integrity, integrity means to me that people come to me early, there's transparency, I know what's happening, I have a seat at the right table. Um, but I'm not seeing this, like my version of integrity is not being lived. Mm. And my time, energy and budget is being spent on putting out fires. Correct. Mm, that's, right. that's what I'm doing. So how, how do you, I guess, what, what's is there a process for realigning that because it's it's yeah. against I, I guess it's against their breakdown of the values that they've put on a particular company value so, right so how, sure yeah and um, I'm just so interested this, in how they go about you know um changing that yeah for sure uh, so I want to I want to I want to break it down <laughs> I want to break, break it, down it down into two parts uh to to respond to you um you know, there's one area that I haven't really addressed yet, which is around corporate values, company yeah. values. Um, and so as an organization, who decides, first of all, yeah. is it a collective decision? Is it the CEO's decision? And that can be very different for different companies, depending on the size. You know, smaller companies are probably going to be the CEO, and it's probably going to be also very mirrored with the personal values of that CEO. Yeah. It doesn't have to be. Like the corporate values are what are connected to the corporate's the corporations, the organization's vision and mission, what it's wanting to achieve, um, how are those values set up? Yeah. Um, and then the important part in, a, in an organization is what is the organization doing with those values? Are they just yeah. going up on a wall and are they just like, is it the talking the talk, but not walking the walk? That's yeah. where people lose faith. They lose belief. Yeah. They, they lose, the, then the organization can lose credibility. And we see that all the time. In the they lose sphere. trust. They lose trust. Exactly. Yeah. And they don't yeah. just lose trust externally. They lose trust internally yeah. with yeah. the rest of the team that sees 
it's like kids and parents, right? If the yeah. kids see their parents saying one thing, I've been there, I know, yeah. <laughs> and I'm not a parent myself, but I'm talking about myself as a kid. You know, I see my parents, I saw my parents saying one thing and doing another. <gasps> Disconnect. Yeah, yeah. You know, right? Yeah. So this, this causes yeah. cognitive dissonance. It causes cognitive yes. dissonance. And that is not a comfortable place to be. So going back to your example, the person who's in that situation, and feeling that his or her own values are being met by their job, by their role, there's a couple of things to think about. Um, one is, okay, how is this fitting with the corporate, with the organization's values? Am I, am I butting up against something here? Am yep. I rubbing up against a process or a person or yep. a, a set of values that are feeling like they're rubbing me the wrong way? Um, and I would say a couple of things. One is that just because your value is different than the organization's value doesn't mean they can't coexist. They can't be compatible. Uh, so for example, if, if my value is to have fun, which one of them is, and your value is integrity, mine is too, but left for the example, let's just say that mine's fun and yep. yours is integrity, uh, or the organization's value is integrity. It doesn't mean that I can't have fun and, and be in this environment that requires integrity. My question to myself, or I might ask if it was a client I was working with is, how can you have fun doing this work? How can you live your value of yes. fun, right? How, so the question comes back to opening it up. And not, it's not an either or situation. Yes. I, I, is this a good job for me or not? That's a binary question. Mm. And there's only one of two answers really. Mm. Um, and so if we open it up to say, how can I do this? How can I have, how can I live my value of fun in this role or in your situation? How can I live my value of integrity when others around me are doing X, Y, Z, or when the system is set up this way? So we just open up the door and examine it. Yeah. Again, coming back to that, examine it. I love that. And that, and I'm just going back to the mindset and my thoughts and, and how I would feel if I was a CCO, that curiosity, it, mm -hmm. I can imagine, would give me a challenge and an opportunity yes rather than that you know this cognitive dissonance that you talk about it would actually mm -hmm. give me I guess an opening okay so how how not what but right. not why <laughs> why is this happening to me <laughs> what but how can I so how can I fit in so then I guess you know you're, you're going to start brainstorming and thinking about what what this means to my role how mm -hmm. can I get the door open? How can I get a seat at the table early on? Because now mm -hmm. I know this is happening. Right. How can I influence people? And that goes back yeah. to your conversation secrets, the the yeah. the the um different conversations. All right, that is very, very, very cool. So I want to talk about um a particular section in the book. And I have to say, I I I have not studied like you have, Carrie, but I'm really, really interested in neuroscience and how the brain works. And I have not really looked into the one area that you talk about, which is the neuroscience of admitting mistakes. I was fascinated by this. Could you elaborate a little more about this? Because, mm. I mean, I know that admitting mistakes is a necessary part of our lives. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, but, but I love the idea of the neuroscience. So can you speak about that? Sure. Um so well there's there's so that the when we admit mistakes we're admitting it to ourselves first and then possibly to someone else if, if we're admitting it to someone else who's also yeah. affected yeah 
Yeah. And uh, the example in the book is also talking about where someone else is affected. Yeah. And so the admitting mistakes is affecting yeah. both. And admitting mistakes actually, I think, starts with one of the other secrets in the book, which is letting go of uh, letting go of being addicted to being right. Ah, yes, yes. So yep. when we can let go, and, and I mean, let's let's admit it, right? We all have this. It, it's actually embedded in in our upbringing. It's embedded in our Western society. It's embedded in everything we see. It's really this is one of the biggest challenges I see. Yep. Um, and and especially for for those of us who've been educated as lawyers, that's what we're paid for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. And yep. every other yep. expert expert yep. field, especially in, in, in a technical expert, is yep. being paid for being right. Yes. And so it's yep. challenging to admit mistakes, right? And we've been conditioned after we've learned how to walk. We've been conditioned over and over again. That mistakes aren't good, that it's not okay to make mistakes, that it's not okay to fail. And actually, as a creative person, yeah, an entrepreneur, you have to make 100 percent failure. Yep. Yep. 100%. This is one of the toughest ones. And I will admit, Nicole. And I will admit, Nicole, that I am totally there. I I am yeah. doing this every day is yeah. stumbling over my own willingness to admit that I've fallen over. And yeah. so I've learned a new phrase. I wanted to, I thought Go it would then. be fun to share with you. Go on then. I've learned this in two different situations this year that instead of saying, I'm sorry, or um, have feeling like you have to apologize for being making a mistake yeah. is to say something really fun instead. Okay. Say, be willing to be sexy. And say oh. instead, I'm sexy. I'm not just saying oh. I'm sorry. I say I'm sexy. <laughs> that is fantastic. That it, is it actually phenomenal. blew it, blew it you know what? for me. And I feel better. Like I'm just thinking yeah. about that. I feel sexy. Right? I feel sexy. I feel sexy. You, then you could just throw yeah. it up. And so yeah. I actually, so in one of my one of my colleagues yeah. in one of these organizations, this course yeah. I was doing, had t-shirts made for us all based on the LMFAO song called I, I'm Sexy and I Know It. So oh, I have, yes. When, yeah. I, when I really have, a, I, I can wear this t-shirt and know that it's my day to do whatever I need to do because if I make a mistake, I'm okay. Because yeah, I'm but, sexy. But actually... <laughs> mistakes are sexy though they are i would they say mistakes are. are sexy as an artist my yeah. best work are mistakes that's right my best work my best articles mm -hmm. in fact i can tell you this my best training i've ever put together is probably the most mistakes like it's mm -hmm. just and 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 in fact even if you even if there are like this podcast that's Mm -hmm. that's going to go out there's a few hiccups but that's yeah. actually what makes it really interesting it what makes us people yeah. I've got my kids stuff behind yeah, us I see you know kids yeah me. I'm having my coffee you know yeah. but it's it's actually the humanness of yes. mistakes so I think is actually yes. really really fun and slightly addictive and yeah. draws people in and so I'm hearing that what mistakes are is something that creates an emotion in us yes and emotions yes. are necessary if we have the right yes. emotion, if I have, if I feel sexy when I make a mistake, I'm going to feel great. If yes. I feel ashamed when yes. I make a mistake, like I'm trying to teach my five-year-old this, that 
he's it's okay to admit a mistake it's he's not going mm-hmm. very well right now <laughs> but he feels ashamed he's, he's just got this and he cries and he gets upset and he walks off mm-hmm. and it's not because he associates it with shame rather than trying right and i associate it trying with this wonderful mess just like your book you could call your book mm-hmm. you know a load of things that we put together <laughs> you know <laughs> and it came together as a mistake yeah. And Sexy you know what? Mistake. It kind of did. It kind of yeah. did actually, because yeah. about a year ago, a year and a half ago, yeah. we had already written all the chapters Yeah, and we kind of stalled out and yeah. we were kind of like, ah, uh, I don't know. I don't know. We, we didn't think it was very good, you know, because it was in raw form. It was still yeah. in the yeah. rawest yeah. form. Right. Yeah. And, and we just, and we kind of went, ah, and then, and then COVID hit and we started to think about, wow, people really need this. And so we, we thought, you know, it's time to, it's time to, you know, pick ourselves up off the ground, yep. dust our socks off and keep Damn going. It. Get it. We've got to go. It. And there's, even if it takes us another, another year, which it did, we're going to polish it off, which we did. So it came out of, it did come out of mistakes. And, and what I'm hearing again is another mindset shift. Yeah another thought that drove you we're going to do right. this whatever it takes yeah yeah our why changed takes. right yeah. our why changed yeah so interesting and so, so interesting. This, is, this comes back yeah. to even back to what we talked about earlier about re-examining mm. values mm. is also is, is doing a periodic self-audit about what's important yeah. to you uh the, what's driving you what's your motivation yeah. that why factor yeah it's also embedded with the values it's like doing a personal self-audit yeah. Um, it is a wonderful place, whether you're in a leadership role or not, because um, you're always in a self-leadership role. Yes. Um, so, you know, that fits. And, and you're yes. absolutely bang on around the mistakes is about showing humanity. So here's yeah. the neuroscience, right? Because you yeah. put, you pinned yeah. it. Yeah. When we feel ashamed, we're in, we're, we're also activating our amygdala, the back part of our yeah. brain that is in fear. Yes. Um, We're in our emotional side of our brain, brain, our limbic system and the emotions that are attached to old stories and patterns. Now, your son is really little, but somewhere, somewhere, even in his short little memory, he's already got a memory imprint about this being a bad thing. Um, So kudos to you to looking at how you could how to help him unravel that and implant something new. And so this whole thing about I'm saying, I'm just sexy. I just did something sexy is it because it's fun. So it takes us out of that amygdala, out of the fear and puts it more available to us in our prefrontal cortex. All right. We're going to hear from Carrie in a moment about the prefrontal cortex and how it works after a quick break. So Nicole and I believe something, and we believe it deeply and personally. We believe that to be effective in compliance and ethics training, in HR training, and communicating with teams generally, you don't need a whole lot of money, and you certainly don't need to be constantly pursuing and adopting fancy technology. And you're not going to be able to do it completely by outsourcing. If you want to be audience-centric and truly salient, you just have too many constituencies, too many messages, and too many channels to fill uh, to do it all by turning to outsourced providers. You simply are going to have to do it yourself to some extent. But don't be scared. All that requires is a consistent and dependable approach to how you make things and the right entrepreneurial mindsets. And so Nick and I started our initiative, Training Hats, to offer our Entrepreneur Plus program, which is weekly coaching sessions, 
regular personalized mentoring, access to production workbooks and templates, easy tools and technology, really a whole program to help you learn by doing and to help you learn how to do it yourself by doing. Nick and I are convinced that you can make a lot of your organization's training and internal communications yourself and be more cost-effective and more change-effective doing it that way. So we ask you to take control and gain confidence and then speak for yourself. Let us show you how. There are details about our program on the Training Hats website. So the prefrontal cortex is what's also known as the executive brain. It's the part of the brain that distinguishes us from other animals. Uh, So all other animals have like what we might call the lizard brain or the reptilian brain, which is the amygdala, the oldest part of the brain. And then the limbic being the emotional. There's other parts of the brain as well that get activated in certain things. But the three core areas are those two plus the prefrontal cortex. Now, the thing about the prefrontal cortex is that that's so it's, it's at the front part of front half of our brain. Yep. If you could see me, you could see me putting my hand, my yep. hand over the front part of my head. Yep. Um, yeah. And so that's where we want to be most of the yep. time, especially when we're making decisions. Um, yep. When we're having conversations with, uh, uh, especially like sort of close friends, intimate partners, family, kids, uh, people that are important to us, we want to have access to that. Hell, you know what? We want to have access to it when we're driving our car. Yep. Uh, because we're being asked to make micro decisions all the time. Yep. And it's the part of the brain that gets exhausted fast. <laughs> yes. Yep. So what you talked about earlier in terms of structure, systems, a process to follow, yep. these are things that help us not use the energy in our prefrontal cortex all the time. Yep. Right. So yep, we, we free that up for the creative part, the part that is required to make decisions People yep. might think, oh, I'm not creative, but we are. We are, we are creation machines. Yep. Humans are creation machines and mistake-making machines. Yep. So we want to have access to the prefrontal I, cortex, when we're, especially that. when we're having difficult conversations. I love that. I love that. All right. So I'm going to talk about um, uh, secret number seven, which was about asking mm. powerful questions. Now, mm. you, you've reminded me of an amazing quote, which, again, thank you, because I used this again last night with a client, is, Dale Carnegie on how to win friends and influence people. And he reminded us, which I love, we should be asking questions that people enjoy answering. Okay. Now I love, absolutely love this reframe about asking people a question that they're going to enjoy, but how do we deal with the converse? How do we ask a question that people are not going to enjoy answering? Like, so, you know, a, a CCO goes to a CFO and they say, to the CFO, have you and your team completed your annual training? And we know that it's an awkward question. The answer is no. He's a peer. It does not look good. Um, How do we ask this question, I guess, Mm. in a better way? What what would be your guidance there? Wow, this is a great one. Um, (laughs) uh, I'm going back to something we just talked about in terms of admit mistakes and thrive. And the Dale Carnegie quote in terms of asking people questions they like to answer or they prefer to answer. So I want to break this down. I want to, answer, I want to talk about the quote first. Is yeah. what that is really, I think what that was really speaking to as well is that people like to talk about themselves. And I don't mean yeah. that in, in a, a, an egotistical way, but it is an ego focused way in the sense that um, we do like, we like it when our name, we like hearing our name 
right? Yes. So when I, when I talk to you, Nicole, and I use your name, that's something that yes. we'd like to hear. We also like to talk about our thoughts, our expressions, what's going on in our lives. So in many ways, thinking about the CCO going to the CFO or somebody in this situation is to think about, okay, so what's going on for them that they might not have their training done yet? So we want to actually, before we even have that conversation, be thinking about things from the other person's point of view. Yeah. And we want to create a situation that allows them yeah. to come to the place, potentially, where if they have had a mistake, that they'll feel comfortable admitting that mistake. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So in The Secret, when we talked about admit mistakes and thrive, it was the protagonist, if you like, in a story yeah. format, who was actually deciding for herself yeah. that she'd made a mistake and she wanted to share that with her client, yeah. right? So she's already taking the initiative. She's already had the internal conversation with herself. When we're with somebody else and we're thinking they might have made a mistake, we actually want to create that safety. So I, let's say, uh, to take it back to admit mistakes and thrive. She's already made that internal safety with yeah. herself, right? Well, now we want to create safety for someone else. Okay. So you might go to them and say, first of all, if you pretty much know that the answer is they haven't got it done, then asking that question, why? Why? Yep. We don't want to ask that question because yep. it can feel disingenuous and it can yep. automatically create suspicion in the yep. other person because if they feel that you already know the answer, they're going to, they may feel judged. They may yep. feel shamed yep. by the situation. And yep. so they're going to be in the back part of their brain and in their emotional yep. side of their brain, not in their prefrontal cortex. Instead, if we went to them and said, hey, um, I'd like to talk to you about your annual compliance training goals. Um, I'm wondering where you are with that. So yep. open question. I'm wondering where you are with that. You might ask that. If you've got signals already, you know they're not done, you might go and say, hey, I'd like to talk to you about your annual compliance training goals. And I, I have a sense that they're not going to be met on time. Yep. Can we have a conversation about that? That opens yep. the door, allows them to step in. You're doing it gently, not yep. confrontationally. Yes, you have a goal that you need the organization to meet, that you need this person to meet. Um, and so you, you could open the door that way to allow perhaps some safety for that person to come forward and say, hey, yeah, you know, we're really, we're really behind. We had this thing yep. come from the client the other day, and it really threw us off our game plan. And they may have good reasons, and they may have all kinds of excuses. Yeah. But that at least opens that. the door for them to admit that mistake. And then you yeah. might then turn to say, so, or if they haven't yet, you might say, that, like, what's gotten in the way? Yeah, and that, that was right. actually going to be my follow-up thought was, yeah. what is it about this that's not working? Because that would then help me. They say, it's too right. long, it's too boring, it's too much. It's, you know, I'm, I'm doing other stuff. I've got loads of other training, whatever it is. That's going to help me plan better because I've got mm -hmm. a senior person giving me feedback. So I'm taking it as feedback. I'd love some feedback on why the training has not been working why, why why the training has not been completed can you help me yeah that's that's great and, all right and you might you might even ask you might even ask before that what have you tried yes i love that as well what have right. you tried yeah yeah that's and, and, like, and, and engaging them in the solution is like okay so given that given that these things are in the way what's possible for achieving this timeline goal Wow. And again, you've given them this challenge, this curiosity. Suddenly yeah. it's become something that's about achieving something, achieving right. something that's possible. I love that.
And you know what oh, else? What, yeah. what, I, what else I like about that too, Nicole, yeah. is that it doesn't take the accountability away from them into your pocket. It still leaves it with them. Um, you know, there's, there's there's some things out there that people that says that suggest that many people don't like accountability. They don't yeah. like being held yeah. accountable. In actual fact, we actually do. We crave being yeah. held accountable by other by by something, whether it's a deadline, yeah. a date, or some other people, we actually crave it. Yeah. Um, and so this, but yeah. this, and this allows them to have ownership over that accountability because you're just, yeah. you're just positioning it back in their corner. And actually, I think it, I think you're right. It's rather like never checking your bank statement and worrying about it and sitting there worrying mm-hmm. or checking it regularly and not worrying. So someone's checks right. it. I don't have to worry about this now. It's actually been identified. I can own this. I now can focus on it unless I've got a good reason for not focusing on it. And then I can share that reason. I love that. Uh-huh. All right. Look, I've got one last question and then I want to find out about how to contact you. So um, I'm just going to ask the, the one on listening in your section on collaboration. Mm-hmm. And you talk about this three levels of listening. So this is a kind of a COVID <laughs> question. So you explain that level three, and that's mm-hmm. where I guess we want to be, the empathetic stage where you're listening to the non-verbals so in this world of lockdown in sydney we are we are deep 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 into lockdown right now and we're doing calls and meetings via zoom zoom sorry (laughs) so how can we pick up on these non-verbals you're speaking about and you know what this is a great opportunity for you because i've now left the recording you can't see my face anymore so you can't see what I'm looking like and, and the expression on my face. So, so what are you, I, I guess, what would you pick up on? Well, you know, it's very interesting um, to look at it in the lens within, within COVID and in, in the Zoom meeting environment, as you talk about. I mean, yes, we are absolutely missing, like even I'm looking, because like, I can see my video right now and you're missing, you, if yeah. you yeah. see me and others, your listeners won't be seeing me, but you can only see me from just below the shoulders. Yeah. So you're missing, for example, where my feet are pointing. Am I standing yes. where am I sitting? You don't even yes. know, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, if you can watch my movie, yeah. you probably know I'm standing. So yeah. we, we, we look for little cues um, when we only have a certain amount of visual information, like from the shoulders up. Uh, and I, I think actually many people are more sensitive to these visual cues than you ever knew that you were. Yeah. Because we can tell when someone's not paying attention. We can tell by eye movement when somebody is distracted over another screen. So I want to share some a tip. I like to tell people what I'm doing. So when I have a, a, a when I'm like on a call like this or I'm consulting something, I have two screens. I have two monitors. So I might say yep. I have two monitors. I'm just looking over here because I got my document over here, so I can focus on you here. Nice. And I'll use hand nice. gestures to to do that. Yeah. So we can take. We can take the lead and do that kind of explanatory things ourselves. And what that does, again, it opens up the space for others to do the same. And we're modeling, we're modeling how to share that good visual information. Uh, Um, We can also be attuned to the words mm -hmm. and the tone. Something that's new in the Zoom environment that is different from being in the in-person environment is we often aren't able to interject in the same way. That can be really good, especially for introverts, so long as, so, and the extroverts definitely have, we have to learn to backtrack and create the space and allow it and just be watching even more sharply for some of those visual cues. Now, the other 
problem though is, is that sometimes we're seeing visual cues that are showing up um, not as what they probably mean. Um, and we probably wouldn't pay that much attention to them in person because they kind of get absorbed in the visual noise overall. Okay. So for example, when I'm thinking about something or I'm trying to recall something, I'm often looking up. Mm-hmm. But that can look like to somebody else like I'm rolling my eyes. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Again, yeah. so we can make it explicit. The other thing we can do, Nicole, is if we're in doubt about what yep. we're noticing, is yep. to say, hey, um, I kind of want to check in. I'm curious. Uh, I was just noticing a few things. I want to check in to make sure um, that we're on the same page with yeah. what we're talking about. I love that. And in fact, I use it in my presentations when I present. Mm-hmm. And I'm, yeah. I'm big in my presentations. I say the success of this presentation is I don't speak, is that you guys speak. And mm-hmm. if I'm getting a lot of silence, I'm going to say, OK, what's what's happening? And I actually just call it out. I'm not hearing from anybody. I haven't got any feedback. I don't know whether this is resonating. So you're going to have to tell me whether I'm way off course. And I actually just ask. So I'm what I'm hearing is ask, tell, explain, mm-hmm. break down. Mm-hmm. Just like I did a bit earlier when I said we're sitting in my kitchen. I'm having a cup of coffee. You've got my children's um, you know, um, stuff on the walls and their paintings on the wall. I've got a truck on the wall. People can visualize where we are right now. You've just said yeah. I'm standing yeah, so we can visualize that. I love that. That is mm-hmm. so exciting. I reckon I, I I reckon we could do an entire episode just on nonverbal cues via Zoom, which would be fantastic. Oh, yes. Um, but this has been super, super, super helpful. I'm going to do this in um, over two podcasts. Um, this is going to go out um, in September at the date that your book is being released. I believe it's the 23rd awesome. of September. Is that right? Correct, correct. How exciting. Yeah. I'm so excited yeah. about it. Um, I I really do implore everybody to read this book. It is firstly, as I said before, it's 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 a it's a kind read, it's an easy read. Mm-hmm. But secondly, there are so many golden nuggets. We just went through, mm-hmm. I think, three or four of them. Um, I could have written and it, I probably could have written about five hours of content just about the different points in in the book. So I I actually think that the book is also a great conversation starter as well mm-hmm. as a, a great read. So that's that's why I'd say. But Carrie, in terms of conversation starters, um, mm-hmm. I'm gonna put in the show notes how people that the the different ways people can get in touch with you. But what's your favorite way of people reaching mm-hmm. out to you? What what do you prefer? I love connecting with people on LinkedIn. Yes. And yes. you know it's it's such a great platform. Um I'm I'm on there a fair bit and, and yes. more coming up as the book is coming out. Yep. And we're going to be doing a lot more conversations on there. So that's always a great place uh, to find me. Yep. Um and of course the book itself, you can find it on Amazon. Uh <clears throat> excuse me, Conversation Secrets for Tomorrow's Leaders. And we're also uh, putting up our webpage with some things that we're going to have in addition to the book at 21conversationsecrets.com. Wow. Okay, that is all going in the show notes, plus the link to Amazon. Um, and I want to thank you so much. I have learned so much. I just want to continue speaking with you, Carrie. So thank you. And I really, really appreciate the time. All right, guys. Well, I think Carrie has said it all. I don't think there's much more I have to say on this topic other than please... The book is going to be in the show notes. Go and get the book. It really is a great read. I actually read it in, I think, about one and a half sittings. It's not a long book, but it is really, really valuable. and something that I now dig into quite often. All right, next time on the podcast, we have Robert Appleton. It's, it's a phenomenal 
phenomenal interview. I say this on all of them, it's one of my favourite. Um, but Robert's insights are tremendous and he talks about the whistleblower, why they come to him, the type of people who come to, who come to him, when they come to him, and how to prevent that happening within your organisation. So it's a, it's a great lesson and I'll be letting you know about that. But in the meantime, we put a lot of faith in the ideas and leadership of the eight mindsets cohort that Jason spoke about earlier. So consider joining. Go to www.8mindsets.com. You'll note that there has been a website change. So we're now at 8mindsets.com. So also at the website, there are tons of materials and resources to support you to produce your own effective and learner-centric training or to have us help you make that training. Also, you can find out how you can be amongst the professionals we're proud to coach and mentor. The 8 Mindsets podcast is a production of the 8 Mindsets Initiative, copyright 2021, Great Training LTD and Lead Good LLC, all rights reserved. And that is a wrap. <laughs>